0: You're listening to the Meditation and Attachment podcast with George Haas. For more information, please visit our website at www.metagroup.org. That's www.m-e-t-t-a-g-r-o-u-p.org.
1: So, welcome, everybody. This is um, Meditation and Attachment deepening your practice. It is. May 28th, 2020, it's 7.38 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. How is everybody today? Um, I had a question about, uh, could you speak to Minneapolis Central Park uh, and uh, through a Buddhist lens? So if you're not following um, current events, there was a a killing of another uh, African-American man by police in uh, Minneapolis um and uh, and
2: there was um a a, um, a typical i guess i hate to say typical but
1: response from the police department, which then resulted in protests that then turned into a, a riot and uh, Um, As of this evening, they're calling in the National Guard to lock the whole city down.
2: Um, It has been a
1: nearly constant experience in America to have um, this uh, happen. And it seems, uh, in my memory, that it's it's hard to go more than a few months without something like this happening, and it's uh, it seems uh, so uh, unacceptable, uh, and yet the culture of uh, racism is so entrenched in our cult in our country that we can't uh, escape from it. Uh, in Central Park, you had. Uh, this experience uh, I don't know if you were aware of it there was a a man uh, bird watching in Central Park and um, he asked uh, somebody to leash their dog because uh, they were in a part of the park where uh, leashing dogs is mandatory and um, he was African American and she was white and she uh, uh, threatened to call the police and report that an African-American man was harassing her. Uh, And it seemed from the content of that that she was well aware of the likelihood of uh, the harm that often uh, faces African-American men in the hands of the police. So it's such an ordinary occurrence in our culture that it is possible to
2: use it as a, a, a threat. She then had a, um, <clears throat> a rather
1: severe uh, response from uh, her employer who fired her and
2: uh, also from the, the uh, she, ha- she rescued a dog and the rescue uh, group wanted the dog back, so they took it back. Um, I think that uh,
1: what we need to do is in every opportunity raise our
2: voice against this Uh, and to advocate for these things to change. But this has been going on for a long time.
1: And uh, and so uh, we need to be engaged in a nearly constant agitation against this happening in every opportunity that you have to speak out against it. I, I, I think that the ethical stance is to speak out
2: against it um, in every way that we can. It's a, it is a ongoing heartbreak
1: The problem itself is so deep, um, and it comes from the inequality that we tolerate in our society. We have 2.2 million people in prison in, in our country. We've militarized the police. It is the way that we can hold the social fabric together with the level of inequality
2: that we have. And so we need to also address this uh, inequality. Um, We're often uh, told that it's resources, we
1: don't have the resources, but we have the resources, we have more than enough.
2: It's the way that they're distributed that is the problem.
1: So. Um, I think in one sense, there's a sense of helplessness that comes up around this that can keep you from uh, action. One of the things uh, that uh, Buddhism talks about is not turning away from the suffering of the world, but opening to the suffering of the world
2: so that you can take action in response to it, meaningful action in response to it. And so I think that often with these kinds of things that are so repetitious and so painful that we can turn away from them and not respond. In um, And it's so systemic. When I was... <clears throat> So I'm 66, so 36
1: years ago, um, uh, a friend was killed by the police. And uh, we organized protests and we signed petitions and we demonstrated and um, we were demonstrating in front of City Hall in New York City and I met a man named Reverend Dougherty who was running the... uh, protests at the time uh, in Brooklyn against the police killings there. And he was in tears because there were police, uh, there were uh, news vans all over the place because it was a bunch of white kids protesting the killing of a a young black man and that there had been a dozen killings um, in Brooklyn and not a single news van showed up to cover it. There were large gatherings, large protests organized by the church, and there was no coverage at all.
2: And we're uh, in this same situation. Can you contrast the way
1: that a group of uh, men armed with uh, assault rifles entering into the state capital of Michigan were treated by the police in comparison to the protesters' who came to protest the killing of somebody.
2: And you have a sense of how systemic this is. Uh, I find it so profoundly sad. It's hard um, to be with it. Nonetheless, we need to turn toward it and we need to advocate relentlessly in the way that we can. You may have noticed in Iceland,
1: um, they passed legislation to create an instrument to evaluate whether candidates running for political
2: office were sociopaths. Um, I think that we need to begin to engage in some kind of um, evaluation of who polices us anyway
1: <clears throat> that is my 10 minute rant on, on this it's just so
2: sad it's it just it's heartbreaking to sit into it but we need to sit into that heartbreak and then we need to use the energy of that sadness I'm smiling because um, the topic for tonight's class is
1: a meta for friends and family. <laughs> and so uh,
2: maybe you have a similar kind of heartbreak when you think of your family or your friends. We've been alternating talking about metta practice and the vipassana
1: practice, and tonight is a metta night. And focusing on the uh, <clears throat> that aspect of practice. But before I do, did anybody
2: want to respond uh, about this particular topic? Okay. Um, <clears throat> going to shift gears. The um, I like to talk about metta practice as inclining
1: the mind toward kindness. In uh, thinking of ourselves and thinking of other people, we develop a working model of the experience of them. And then in the moment that we think of them, we bring to mind the working model. And <clears throat> The working model activates in the same sense gates as the um, original
2: recording of the impressions of uh, friends and family. Um, And so we can
1: easily develop an aversion to the working model of ourselves or the working model of other people because that same kind of uh, difficult feeling arises in thinking of them and then we have an aversive response to uh, entertaining or being present for that difficulty. Um,
2: I also like
1: to talk about this in terms of the structure of relationships through an attachment lens. Uh, If you think about yourself and and, uh, close people, that's your inner circle, your, your A's and B's. And often the category for friends and families is the next one down, C's and D's. Not everybody keeps uh, their uh, family in the C group. If you remember the description of Dunbar numbers, uh, Dunbar is a French researcher described uh, human relationships as related to the neurobiology of being able to perceive them. And in, in that research of uh, how many faces can you recognize in active memory and then how many people do you need to know in order to be
2: happy, he tracked that and in, in his study found that um, you don't need to know that many people. Uh, he found
1: that in the research that the happiest people had one Uh, or zero, A relationships, a group of B relationships, and that 60% of the relationship energy went into between uh, two and uh, five people. And then um, the remainder of that group, 140 plus people, um, you put 40% of your relational energy into. Above the line, A's and B's, you tell everything to, and below the line, C's and D's,
2: you tell some things to. Yeah. So when you think about the
1: relationship that you have to your uh, family or a particular family member, is that somebody that you you uh, share everything with or you share share only some things with? And what we're talking about this, of course, is the experience of the present moment. Can you present in, in a relationship to uh, friends and families the experience of the present moment in a, in a complete way that communicates what your experience is, or do you leave some things out of that because it's easier to navigate the relationship where there isn't a sufficient level of trust where that would be something that you would want to do?
2: Um And this is actually a fine way
1: to be in the world. You want to have the people that you tell everything to to be extremely trustworthy and reliable and dependable and and the relationships to be lasting so that you're really well taken care of by them uh, and you want to you to be the arbitrator of what's limited in terms of what you share with other people so that you don't feel uh, vulnerable or you're not uh, in a position to be harmed by
2: their uh, choice and uh, what energy to uh, release or not release about you.
1: Um, I think in a, in a perfect world, perhaps we would have a, a family group where that was a possibility. But I know from the, my own experience with my family and also from the work that I do with a lot of my students is that that's not the case, that most people hold the family uh, in C's or D's position. How often do you see your family? Um, do they live nearby? Sometimes that happens, certainly. Um, <clears throat> but often um, that doesn't happen. And so um, I really want to make, make sure it's very clear that there's permission uh, to really organize the way that you uh, maintain your social relationship so that it really works for you and what we're talking about here is the the intimacy piece the attachment piece but also the exploration piece that you put around yourself the group of people that will really support and encourage you to explore what's meaningful to you and because we all have a limited amount of uh, social resources that we can use to support the relationships that's your very judicious and picking uh, who you're going to put those resources into so that they support and encourage you
2: to explore what has meaning to you so that you live a life that's filled with meaning. So Dunbar's research showed that people
1: who want to have an A relationship so somebody you take care of on a daily or every other day basis. But the main thing about an A relationship is that the relation, the demands of the relationship take precedence over your individual exploration. That's a huge commitment. Whereas in a B relationship, your uh, solo exploration is still the primary um, mover in, in, in the way that you organize things. And there's really no preference there. It's it's what you like and what supports you so that you can uh, pursue the things that are meaningful to you. It's unlikely that if you don't develop a network of A's and B's uh, that C people will support your solo exploration well enough that you'll really be able to go to the edge of what's meaningful to you and then grab at it. Um, particularly as we age, uh, the experiences of difficulty that can arise from exploring in that way begin to create a, a reservoir of disappointment that gradually begins to have us um, rein in our own exploration. And we can do this to the play, point where we don't actually explore enough to find meaningfulness in, in, in our lives and and that makes the the challenge of being alive uh, extraordinarily difficult. Life in itself is difficult enough, but if you take the
2: meaning from it, it, it seems uh, to raise the question of why would you uh, put yourself through all of this um, in our in our society uh, where
1: there is so much privilege for for a class of people. Um, We often uh, can find ourselves uh, as we get older, socially isolated because we have the resources to live uh, independently, but but not the ability to connect. And so we live
2: in an isolated way. Depending on how
1: you were uh, raised as a child will depend on how
2: Naturally, the mind inclines toward um, happiness and delight in yourself and
1: also delight in others. And so a lot of this is a a kind of skills training to do. Did you grow up in an environment where you learned how to be delighted in other people? And did you grow up in in a family system where you could be delighted in and take that in. In secure households, delight is a currency in relationships, and so children grow up steeped in the experience of being delighted in it and being free to delight in others. And so it's a skill that they have and is usually well-developed, but they may not have a consciousness of having developed the skill or that some people don't have that skill. Uh, Depending on what your conditioning is, for instance, if you grew up and you became a dismissing adult, you understand uh, delight, but it's a a mechanism to get what you want rather than a genuine expression of your interest in other people or your delight in other people. It's a, a kind of seduction that you use to get what you want. People who grow up to be preoccupied as adults, they really don't have much uh, agency with delight because it wasn't something that they grew up in their, and had as an experience. And so whereas dismissing people need to shift from a kind of manipulative use of delight to a genuine expression of it, uh, preoccupied people need to learn from scratch the whole, whole currency of uh, delight. And then disorganized people who are are abused often um, have had delight used as a way of manipulate them, to manipulate and harm them. So there needs to be this process of changing their relationship to it so that you can view it without it evoking the the fearfulness around somebody
2: trying to exploit or harm you. Because the family, uh, experiences for
1: people is so formative, there's a lot of entanglement often around that. And so when we begin to talk about meta for family, we're talking about often uh, complex relationships. Because we're we're holding all of this in a working model, the complexity has a lot of different mind states that can arise when you experience the thought uh, of the family. Particular members, and so what we want to be able to do is embed within that working model this inclination toward kind regard for them. Um, It doesn't necessarily uh, mean that you're going to be engaging them in the real world, but so often uh, when things happen in the world and they cause the uh, the uh, the mind to make sense out of that, or uh, absolute reality to be created into conceptual reality, it can trigger. the activation of one of these working models. And if we are averse to them uh, only, then each time they arise, there's often an aversive response to them and we we want to hold them at a distance. And we have that experience, they don't. Uh, And so one of the aspects of doing this practice, which is intentionally inclining the mind toward kindness is to embed in these working models of your, family members <coughs> this capacity for kindness in, in re- relating to them and it just makes your experience easier in being in relationship to them and and then as we move from metta practice into compassion practice it opens up the window of uh, compassion and holding their experience and Uh, what happened to them which led them to act in the way that they did with you. Metta practice is (coughs) the antidote to anger. And so often what we're focusing on when we're focusing in metta practice is the potential for anger. Um, I don't know about you, but family is certainly one of those easy areas where (laughs) anger can pop up. Uh, and so, it really is useful to us to pump as much uh, kindness into that working model as we can get, so that when that comes up, there's a, there's an immediate uh, capacity to uh, um, relieve ourselves from the experience of anger. You may notice that uh, it, there's a there isn't. Um, there, it, it's hard to find a group that, that can make you as reactive as uh, as the family group, right? And so we want to have agency here uh, in terms of how we react. The near enemy of this is a kind of sentimentality, and so um, uh,
2: it's a kind of uh, um, almost like a fugue state
1: in the sense that uh, there's a, a Pollyanna-ish positivity where the family is held in this sort of bubble, but it, it it isn't really relating to what happened to you or to how they actually are or how you're actually reacting to them. And so we want to come out of that sentimentality experience and actually be able to be
2: fully present in the moment with them the way that they are. Um, and and be also free to uh, express externally the way that we want to. So
1: this is a touching on mentalizing or active mentalizing. One of the aspects of mentalizing is to be open completely to the experience that you're having and then uh, internally and then be free to
2: express it externally in, in any way that you want, including not expressing it. So, as we do our our work uh, with this, we
1: pick somebody. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the friend group here. It's useful to have people that really support you, really encourage you to explore and and will uh, take care of you if you if you get knocked sideways. Um, and that will engage in a collaborative relationship with you you take care of them in a way that they want to be taken care of they take care of you in a way that you want to be taken care of and you support each other uh, and support each other's exploration Um, but everything is impermanent and so you may have a's and b's and if you find good ones you want to really put a lot of energy and effort into maintaining those relationships so that you have them available to you but because everything is impermanent they may come and go particularly bees where their exploration will take them away from you and so you need to have a, a a group of people in which to draw new bees into your life and that would be the c group or the friend group so you are responsible for tending the these relationships and you're also responsible for keeping your eye out for other people who might be useful to you and tending those relationships, even though they, they are not getting the same amount of time, energy and resources as an A or B would get. So that if you do lose one, you have uh, resources in which you can then move somebody else into a B position. So that's the, the position of the seas we like to call
2: them <laughs> is that all making sense so far so the way
1: meta works is you incline the mind toward kindness you think of a particular person and as that experience is remembered the uh, experience of holding them with kindness is remembered as part of the working model of them. And so you can, uh, depending on how much of this you how much effort you put in, you can really pack uh, a lot of kindness into the working model of a relationship with somebody so much so that when they come to mind, the mind inclines uh, first toward kindness when you think of them. And so that's this uh, practice that we want to do. At the same time, um, the instructions are for metta jhana, which means you're developing high concentration states as part of doing this. So uh, one of the things that I noticed in um, teaching uh, metta is that if you use a, an elaborate phrase process in order to generate the feeling of, of pleasantness in the body, um, it's easy to slip out of the present moment into the activity of sentimentality and not be anchored in the present moment and, and be able to navigate mind states. It's so useful to be able to hold the mind state of kindness, say, or any mind state really that you want once you figure out how to do it, that you, you develop at the same time in, in just not only high concentration states but mentalizing capacity,
2: all of these things that are important.
1: Any questions about this before we do the, the practice?
2: Uh, yes, uh, George, Arthur. Uh-huh. Um, um maybe you could elaborate a little bit on mind state. That's one I still feel a lot of um unclear on, 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 you know, experientially. Okay. I'm not really sure.
1: Um the difference between a mind state, say and, and a, an emotion in the body is the emotion is felt and, and comes and goes. In a wave, and a mind state distorts the way that conceptual reality is cr- uh, created. So, if the mind is inclined toward kindness, the picture of um, the world is infused with kindness. The concept, uh, the conceptual reality. The Buddha uh, described this by talking about the reflection in a mirror. A a dark glazed bowl 2,600 years ago filled with clear water was a mirror. We, as uh, in the human condition, don't experience things directly. We experience them as a reflection through the senses and mind. If the the water were still and clear, equanimous, it's as if the conceptual reality that comes through the process of converting absolute reality into that solid experience is a pretty accurate reflection. But if you were to dye the bowl a bright color, then the image on the surface that you see would be infused with this bright color because there's a state in between, uh, a non-equanimous state. So between absolute reality and conceptual reality is the mind state which acts as a filter which changes the perception of conceptual reality the mind were angry, it's as if the water were boiling. It's very distorting. If the mind were uh, filled with sloth and torpor, it's as if algae had overgrown both. The mind were filled with restlessness and agitation. It's as if a breeze were blowing across it. The mind were filled with doubt. It's as if the water were muddy. So in that process of reflecting the senses as you experience them and creating conceptual reality, the mind state stays in between. And changes the way that you form the experience of self and world. Um, how do you then per- perceive when that's happening? And in the beginning, it wasn't kindness that I was able to do it with. It was anger that I was able to do it with. I noticed that when I was really angry, that it distorted my perception of everything, and I could track that. And then when the when my when I wasn't angry, which was different than feeling anger in the body, but feeling anger that's distorting, um, I could notice the absence of it. And then I I did it with sadness as well. And then I began to notice how, uh, really the perception of things you can begin to see in the way that you create conceptual reality, that it's not neutral, that it's inclining toward a particular state. Uh, And then you begin to recognize uh, how you know that you're either angry or how you know you're sad or how you know you're excited or happy. And then uh, developing enough skill that you can recognize how do you know that the mind is inclined toward kindness and then cause that uh, state to arise. So that's the beginning part of this uh, way of practicing. How do you understand what a mind state is? How do you understand the difference between the mind states? And then how can you develop agency to cause the mind state that you want to arise when you want it to arise? So you notice that you're angry, but then you have agency, so you can displace the angry mind with the kind mind because you have that agency, you've developed it. Uh, Another way to talk about it would be that are you aware that you have sensations in the body which are emotional in nature? And can you tell one of those emotional states from another in, in the body by the sensations, the pattern of the sensations? How did you learn to do that? Well, you probably learned it from your caregiver when they mirrored back to you what that state meant. Uh, and so it's just, a, it's really, a, As easy or as challenging to learn as that? Is that a good enough answer?
2: Yeah, the mindset of anger that really helps to relate to. Um, Yeah, thanks for sharing your sadness earlier. I think it's important to um, not avoid that. Yeah. Thank you. you. Someone else? All righty. Let's do some. Oh, James, did you? Uh
0: I can I can save it until the end. Okay. It's about dunbar numbers and so it's
2: cool. Okay. So let's go ahead and uh sit. Yeah, so I um
0: what I find is when I'm doing this sort of meditation often, um, as I get more concentrated, the, uh, the energy that arises, I end up like inadvertently kind of, I, it, it'll build in my chest or my face or something like that. And I, I kind of lose concentration when that starts to happen because there's a, there's a, um, an ebb and flow to the, you know, like there's a pattern to the energy right. and it makes me want to move when I'm sitting on the, ah. on the cushion. And, and so I, then I start thinking about it and I'm kind of, and then that, that fades away. Um, and I don't really know what that's all about.
1: So the PT that we're looking for is going to be more in here to switch your focus to inside the head somewhere.
0: Mm-hmm. And when it gets in here, that's when it, it starts to get to that point. And then, kind of spaz yeah. out mentally and then yeah.
1: <laughs> what i would recommend is that you just let the body move okay. and don't pay attention to the that part okay. just see if you can stay up with the mind state okay. um the uh the energy often moves the body and it uh, depending on what level of of it is um when we were in Myanmar. um there were a couple of people where, uh, because the this kind of practice does tend to produce a lot of piti, uh, this one woman in particular, she would sort of rise up and then fall forward and hover a few inches above the ground and sit there for like an hour like that. It was so extraordinary. Um, and so that that's that uplifting uh, energy that uh, So I I wouldn't inhibit that at all. Okay. Yeah, it actually
0: makes me want to feel like I want to lean forward more. (laughs) (laughs) That's interesting. Uh, Really quickly, the Dunbar numbers or letters, um, A, B, C, and D, do you, uh, just curious, would it be helpful or have you in the past just kind of actually written out who you think falls into those categories?
1: Um, You mean for myself?
0: Or yeah, or would it would it be helpful for me to do that?
1: Oh, I I'm I, I'm always aware of who my bees are. I don't have an A at the moment, but uh, and I'm always um, I like to have four or five of them, and so <coughs> I'm I have uh, four now, but one of them doesn't live locally anymore. So it's a huge effort to. Uh, to drive out to Palm Springs. <laughs> um, so, um, but I think of it as attending a garden. It's always I'm always aware of who my bees are. I'm always aware of who my C's are that might be potential bees. I'm always entrusting them with little more, little things more to see whether or not they're they're uh, trustworthy enough to be promoted to a bee. Uh, <laughs> Uh, in the same way that I tend the the, the geraniums or the wisteria, or I, I keep orchids. Uh, sure. Um, yeah, it's a it's a constant thought for me. So yeah, I do recommend that. Otherwise, what ends up happening is you don't remember to be in touch as frequently as you need to in order to maintain that level of closeness. Yeah. And people naturally drift downward, uh, and uh, if you have somebody who's really good you really do have to pay attention to that and make sure you maintain the relationship sure and, and you' you have uh, you know a uh, marriage kids a job it's uh, uh, to maintain bees and, and and with everything that you're going on. Uh, god takes diligence you know sure sure constant attention
0: yeah yeah the garden the garden reference makes sense though i can i can relate it to that that makes it easy to conceptualize
2: yeah
1: yeah Yeah. if you're not out there tending to the garden um, it dies yeah. <laughs> I remember for the uh, for 20 years I kept bonsai trees and I had like 35 of them and it's an enormous task to maintain 35 bonsai trees and sometimes I didn't do well enough, and their their protest was simply to die. Yeah.
0: yeah. It's pretty apparent when you haven't kept up to your end of the bargain.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm dead.
1: You know, this tree that you nurtured for 10 years.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, thanks. Cool, thank you. All right, someone else? <coughs> So, uh, do pets make good beasts? No,
1: um, at least not in Buddhist cosmology. Uh, um, they you know, in Buddhist cosmology, they're not considered sentient, even though uh, we, uh, in our current state of science, would argue with that. Um, you need to have, pick a person, <laughs> but, they're a good stopgap measure as you develop your, your network of people. I have a student, um, and her mother uh, was a competitive uh, collie breeder. You know, they're a kind of long-haired dog. And whenever uh, she was uh, too demanding as a child, uh, her mother would put her in the kennel with the dogs. <clears throat> and then the dogs would take care of her. And she. Uh, So she really developed a preference for the dogs over the the humans.
2: (laughs) Um, But I think that uh, if we can (coughs)
1: overcome the conditioning that we have around um, uh, intimate relationships, we can get a, a greater level of support in our exploration, which is really the whole idea of this, right? that we have a team of people that are with us and supporting us and encouraging us to go really pursue things that have meaning so that we can we can do it because it is often so challenging to to do that um, and then you want to have somebody to come rushing back to and share what you have found out about the
2: world um and so yeah human <laughs> someone else I have a question Uh uh-huh I know that you said in the past that um, the Dunbar number the B was based on face-to-face connection which is hard to do right now indeed wondering how that translates
1: I think in the COVID period that we need to uh, to um, Zoom or phone or something. I have one of my bees comes and we wear masks and he stands outside the door and we talk through the screen. <laughs> 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 um, uh, but he's, you know, he's he's been very kind and and he would go shopping for me and bring me some groceries and then we would talk while, while he was here. Uh, I am thinking of relaxing that because the the challenge of um, being, I live alone and uh, you know, I saw three people in person in 10 weeks. It was just very, it's physically taxing and you get kind of dull because of it. And so um, now that we know a little bit more about the the nature of the contagion and uh, that it's less likely to get uh, transmitted by touch and mainly transmitted through human conversation. Uh, We're far enough apart in
2: wearing masks. uh, I think that that might work. That makes sense. But I also think that there's no
1: test, there's no treatment, there's no vaccine. Um, And so uh, our fatigue at the social distancing and the restraints that the COVID period are placing on us, uh, we do really need to remember that, right? Um, for 95% of the population, it's gonna be a bad uh, uh, a bad temporary illness, and for 5% of the population, it's gonna be catastrophic. Um, so we need to... Um,
2: we need not only
1: to take care of ourselves, but we need to take care of everybody else in, in this. But it seems such a simple thing to be uh, kind to other people by protecting them from what could be catastrophic for them. It just, It's like a no-brainer
2: in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> right. Someone else? <laughs> Alright, um, um, I was talking about this a little bit. Um, I'm going
1: to s- start a series of day-longs which will happen on the third Saturday of the month. Uh, starting in June and going until the end of the year, and we'll be looking at the Manual of Insight by uh, Mahasi Sayadaw and relating that to the uh, Theravada map for uh, enlightenment, the four uh, four stages of enlightenment, and using the. Uh, I'm actually planning to cover all nineteen stages of the progress of insight that uh, Mahasi relates to. Um, And then I might uh, also compare it to the the Satipatthana Sutta because the controversy now in in Western Dharma is uh, between these two camps. One is the Mahasi camp and one is the the Satipatthana uh, camp. Um, And then what you have is really this debate between noting practice and open awareness practice practice. um, and I do like the, uh, the way that the Satipatthana Sutta, if you don't know, the Satipatthana Sutta was the uh, original instruction the Buddha gave on Vipassana meditation. And it describes the various uh, investigations that you do. So it is, in, in, in a sense, a Dharma map. Uh, it's, it describes a series of investigations or practices for developing particular insights. <clears throat> Much in the same way that the sixteen or eighteen or nineteen stages uh, describes that in the in this class on Thursday nights, I have been going through the um, stages that I normally do, but I normally stop at dissolution um, when I talk about it uh, uh, in uh, in th- these compressed classes because most people unless they're doing uh, a re- retreat practice don't have experiences even that that take them to the fifth
2: stage. They're they're earlier on the map. Um, <clears throat> whereas if we do it in, in, in uh, longs it's you'll
1: get the the practice of sitting, but also have the information in case you do want to to get uh, energized around uh, enlightenment. Um, I do think that that. That's the long goal, and that's the lo- the goal that you should have for your practice. And that, um, and that uh,
2: having an understanding of what that actually means is a good idea. Um, we did start the level two class,
1: so if you're interested in the meditation and attachment material, we did start the level two class, and I will let people in. Um, um, but once we've completed the second class, then I, I'm going to actually uh, close that down. So if you were on the fence or considering it and you might want to jump on, you, you have a couple of weeks to think about it before we actually do close it. Um, uh, thank you for coming. I really appreciate the practice. Uh, I offer the teaching on a Donna basis. Donna is the poly word for generosity. And so, any support that you might give Metagroup or or give me, um, uh, so that I can continue teaching and we continue, we can continue to offer the programs that we do. I'm very appreciative of that. If you want to do it, there's a link on the website where you, uh, for the donation, where you found
2: the link for the class. Um,
1: <clears throat> thank you so much, and we will see you
2: next time. Bye.